Welcome to the podcast where heavy industrial industries meet the venture capital ecosystem, interviewing both thought-leading investors and pioneering founders to better understand the opportunities and challenges that lie ahead for digital industrial innovation. Your host is Ty Finley, and this is the Heavy Hitters Podcast. Lior Ron joins us today from San Francisco. Lior is the founder and CEO of Uber Freight, the freight division of Uber that launched in 2017. Before launching Uber Freight, Lior was the co-founder of Auto that was acquired by Uber in 2016. And prior to Auto, Lior had a, held a series of executive product-related roles across Motorola, Google Maps, and Yahoo. And before that, he held a CTO role in the Israeli Army Intelligence Unit. Lior, welcome to the Heavy Hitters. Excited to have you on to share the story of how Uber Freight is, is innovating in the freight ecosystem. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here and super excited about the podcast and uh, just uh, really enjoyed going deep on logistics and Happy New Year. Uh, Happy New Year. We're going to have a fun chat today. So I always give my quick snippet, but you know, how do you go from CTO of the Israeli Army Intelligence Group to all of those great product roles and then ultimately finding your way as uh, the co-founder and CEO of Uber Freight? Love, the, love a little more color commentary. You know, it's one of those stories where in hindsight, everything seemed well connected and orchestrated, <laughs> but, you know, in reality, it was more of a random walk. But, uh, you know, came to the U.S. 20 years ago, uh, four days after leaving the military, to be an entrepreneur and uh, went to Stanford and uh, was uh, very inspired to start my uh, first two startups uh, out of Stanford. The second one landed me at Google, where I eventually uh, led Google Maps. And that was just a phenomenal experience of uh, witnessing firsthand what it takes to build a global digital infrastructure for uh, industry. When I joined, most of the stuff was, if you recall, on MapQuest and like Google Maps were like two countries, UK and the US, and uh, like two million users. And when I left, we had over 200 countries and uh, over a billion users. And throughout those five years, this was really a journey of how do you take an industry that was mostly analog and build a digital first industry and, and future for that throughout everything we have done on Google Maps. Uh, and then uh, the road led me uh, to uh, Motorola, uh, where I led product for Motorola after the acquisition uh, by Google. And uh, I uh, fell in love with Chicago. And uh, throughout my tenure in both Maps and Motorola, we always had those trucking fleets knocking on our door, either asking for like turn by turn directions for truck drivers or in Motorola, like a bunch of IoT stuff for like their trailers and their cabs. So I knew a bit of trucking and logistics. And then after Motorola, I was, I was doing my walkabout of, okay, what I want to do with my next decade of my life. I think in the end of the day, we all want to contribute and do some good in this universe. So as a geek, as a technologist at heart, I was like, where can I help most? Uh, and what's an industry that has not been transformed by technology yet, and I can actually make an impact as a technologist? And uh, between those two experiences, and between the fact that my father was a logistics manager in Unilever Haifa, Israel, 
I need to look just under the hood uh, in logistics and discover what we all know and love now, this ginormous industry that is running the economy, 12% of a, a global GDP, but still mostly running on fax, phone, and paper. And I thought this is something I can actually uh, make some impact uh, and help uh, contribute uh, to the advance uh, of this industry and to digitize that industry. And that sort of led me to take the leap into logistics and uh, do that uh, mostly actually out of Chicago. And uh, all of those threads in hindsight and, and es essentially create a digital first future for the industry, all of those threads in hindsight connected and make me very bullish on the opportunity for Uber Freight. Love it. Well, I spent my five years in Chicago. That's freight headquarters or my Chattanooga friends who get mad at me. You had family in it. You had the you had all of the things that lined up. We need more entrepreneurs like Ilior. It's great to have you in the freight ecosystem. So uh, amazing story. We could spend a lot of time there. Um, maybe just for listeners catching up here, Tell us a little bit more about Uber Freight generally, how it's structured within the corporate parent Uber, and a little on that origin story of why a freight division needed to pop up within such a storied tech company. Well, no, of course. So Uber Freight is Uber for freight, <laughs> for trucks. Uh, it's essentially a marketplace in a very similar way to Uber, connecting uh, demand, shippers, small, medium, and the largest Fortune 500, uh, from a PNG to a Coke to a Pepsi to a Unilever to a Costco to truckers that can haul stuff for them. And as we know, this is a ginormous marketplace uh, with uh, hundreds of millions of trucks moving in the US every year, uh, but it is extremely fragmented where what, like more than 95% of the trucking fleets in the United States have five trucks or less. So if you're a shipper, it's very hard for you to tap into the long tail of capacity. And then in between, there's like just enormous inefficiencies where you need to make on average 25 phone calls to arrange one truck shipment, not to mention the huge inefficiency and the sustainability challenges where 30, 35, 40% of those miles driven by trucks are empty. So Uber Freight is meant to uh, connect all of that fragmented ecosystem, bring it to the digital age, digitize the entire freight marketplace in a similar way to Uber, then connect the right truck to the right shipper at the right time for the right price instantly so information can move in the speed of light, not in the speed of people. So that's a bit of the vision. And as I was like uh, uh, thinking through that uh, uh, ecosystem back in 2015-16, few things were very clear to me. One, you need to have a massive digital uh, uh, ability and distribution to be able to actually uh, create an impact. Uh, if you actually want to build a connected freight marketplace and ecosystem, you need hundreds of thousands and millions of truck drivers involved. So you need to actually find a way to get a, a big distribution advantage. The other thing that was clear is you need to be trusted for shippers. And I mentioned some of those big shippers to trust you. This is their livelihood, their main business. Uh, it's uh, logistics is in the heart of that operation. And you need to be validated and trusted for those shippers to trust you with those needs and get to demand. So then 
as I was uh, doing my walkabout, uh, it was very clear that uh, Uber can be an amazing place to start that marketplace because the brand can validate you with those shippers. The driver-centric, technology-centric, uh, distribution-centric model Uber had with uh, uh, drivers uh, can actually help you gain distribution on the truck driving side and then just access to all the marketplace technology and mobile technology and data science that Uber has just allows you to incubate a separate business at Uber, yet standing on the shoulders of giants and leveraging everything Uber has to offer to be able to bootstrap a, a, a basically a new marketplace in a different industry. Uber for Freight. Couldn't have said it more beautifully. And Connect, uh, you guys have, and we're going to talk a, a lot about that connecting and how you're innovating on connecting uh, across a myriad of questions we have today. So let's I say, I would say on your question on uh, the Uber Freight setup from day one, uh, and thanks to uh, Travis' uh, vision and leadership, and then Dara sort of coming right after him and supporting that, uh, Uber were huge believers, but and we'll talk about that uh, in terms of entrepreneurship, allowed me, allowed us to be entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs and to be somewhat sort of um, loosely coupled than the mothership so we can operate differently, so we can make the right decision for the business, that we can actually form our own subculture within Uber. So from day one, we set up Uber Freight to be uh, somewhat independent from Uber, and I think uh, some of the success and some of the, uh, our ability to incubate it successfully was because Uber and Dara and everyone was smart enough uh, to allow us to incubate on the side and maintain autonomy and maintain empowerment and maintain a, 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 a very a, a strong sense of ownership uh, that brought us to where we are today. Love it. Have to have that support to be able to do that. Entrepreneurship, couldn't agree more. So, Lior, let's let's kick off the discussion. We're going to cover technology. We're going to cover APIs, but let's let's kick off with a big topic going into 2023, and that's um, say 2022, the macro market shift away from the grow at all cost mentality into more of a profitability rule of 40, whatever we want to talk about. Business models will likely only continue regardless of public or private company status as we look ahead to 23. So, let's chat about Uber Freight's journey and scaling that progressed from launching in 2017 into what was a big milestone last year where freight broke through EBITDA profitability in Q1. I think it was around 2 million bucks. And then you more than doubled that in Q2 and then went on to have another uh, EBITDA profitable quarter in Q3. So a lot of our freight tech audience is likely looking to adapt business models to make progress in this direction this year. So would love what lessons learned or insights would you share both on how you accomplish that transition for Uber Freight and then any general advice for those freight tech founders out there on their scaling journey that they should be thinking ahead in, in 2023? Yeah, no, great question. And I mean, we'll start from the end. As you mentioned, we are profitable now. We're growing great. And uh, we're definitely sort of standing on our own and uh, in a very um, strong financial position. Um, but uh, that was a long road. Uh, it's been five and a half, six years. And... I think my main advice or um, sort of observation, uh, it's funny, I just flew back from CS and uh, on my bucket list was uh, to meet, uh, always wanted to meet uh, Bill Gross from Idealab and 
chatted with him actually yesterday, and, and you know, the, the guy looked at like hundreds of hundreds of his startups and other startups, and his main observation, which I couldn't agree more, is in the end of the day, a success or failure has a lot to do with timing. So for us, timing-wise, the time to bootstrap a freight marketplace was in 16, 17, 18, 2019, because one, access to capital was cheaper, and B, we had a first mover advantage in terms of uh, uh, distribution to truck drivers and putting a mobile app in the pocket of every truck driver. I do not know if you can do Uber Freight in the, uh, and bootstrap an Uber Freight like business in the environment today, uh, because to build a marketplace like Uber Freight, this is not unlike Uber, where this is city by city, you essentially incubate an entire freight network across the US. And for shippers to care about you, you need to uh, um, support them in at least all lower 48 states uh, so you can be a meaningful partner for them, which means you need to invest capital in getting the flywheel, getting the initial loads, getting to some level of scale. So over time, all the data science and uh, technology and product that we develop can allow you to have a more and more and more efficient marketplace. But that meant that it requires a capital investment, a significant one, in the early days. The good news is once you do that, and once you're sort of on the other side of the pendula, then you have, a, I think, a very defensible, very scalable business model because uh, you have now, we have now the, den the densest marketplace uh, uh, for uh, truck capacity in the US. And every shipper, every load across the US, probably have a truck available almost instantly within a few miles. There's now 2 million truck drivers on the platform, so like half of every truck driver in the US. But you can only do that um, given the timing and given the macro environment. So what would be my advice for entrepreneurs? I mean, first, really understand the macro and understand what's your fair or unfair advantages in that macro environment. For me in 2016, it was Uber, it was the relative uh, uh, easy access to capital, and it was a first mover advantage that allows to then have a sustainable uh, advantage. If I had to recreate it today, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't actually like try to open a brokerage or a marketplace, I would probably go and do some SaaS tool or something that is less capital in intensive that can reach sort of profitability faster. So I think top advice is that. Uh, the second advice, we we'll go for um, if you want to follow up on founding uh, funding grounds and the steps, but like always know, I look at the entrepreneurship, it's a very risky game, right? It's like a video game and like every step on the way, you sort of a Mario brother, like jumping from like one stone to the next and like every a stepping stone needs to be like, you need to know what is your next stepping stone and how do you leap to that stepping stone and land safely without crashing. And it's all about taking risks, but how do you take a calculated risk? So for me, it was very clear, okay, first step, let's convince Uber this is actually a thing. Okay, done. Next step, I need to convince because like every year I had to go back to the board and convince them this is actually something worthwhile doing. Next step, I need to show a high degree of automation on some lanes to uh, uh, convince people that like truck drivers can actually book stuff 
uh, for the app. And, and this will be my KPI, and this is what I will need to hit. And I think my funders or my capital will be happy with that as a proof point. Step two, uh, I'll need to show some specific financial KPIs to be able to actually infuse external capital. And for the listeners, I mean, we've raised more than a billion dollars externally outside of Uber to date. So like, it's like really knowing what's the next jumping point and being super precise as much as you can on how to just maniacally focus on reaching that stepping stone and not waste any cycles on anything else. Real and transparent advice and you know, it lends to the adage of, you know, play the game on the field and you got to know what the game on the field is to do that. Um, so uh, great advice. And, and maybe one would say when you hit profitability, uh, some would say that business model then in turn, you know, you, you decrease the innovation efforts or the entrepreneurship, as you were mentioning, Lior. Clearly for you guys, that is not the case. And so kind of shifting gears a little bit, it's my only transportation point of the day. Um, let's now talk about, um, what everyone in this freight tech ecosystem has been watching closely for many years now around innovation, and that is autonomous commercial class eight trucking. And so the benefits I think are clear, increased efficiency, safety, sustainability, and improved overall quality of life for the most important people in this equation, the drivers on the road, but the technical execution and, you know, those public and private partnerships continue to prove challenging to move all of us beyond pilots and into that call it more general goal of hundreds of autonomous loads per week in the not too distant future, hopefully. So Uber Freight, you're clearly at the tip of the spear in this push with both your um, your recent partnership with Volvo Autonomous Solutions to pilot hub to hub autonomous freight uh, for Uber Freight shippers with roots in Texas. And you deepened your partnership not too long ago with Aurora for autonomous truck hauling on a, I think it was a specific 600 mile route between Fort Worth and El Paso, if I remember right. Mm -hmm. So all of that said, give us a heat check, you know, maybe to use a baseball analogy, what inning are we in when it comes to having autonomous freight moving at scale and how important is that autonomy to Uber Freight's future? And, you know, I don't think I'd slide in here at the end. I'm a biased Texan, our shops here in Austin. Give some context. Why is all this happening in Texas to, to round us out there as well? <laughs> uh, lots of questions on a super important topic. And I'll start from the end. I fundamentally believe, and I've always believed for the past decade, that autonomy is critical for the future of logistics and the future of supply chain. Uh, there is no way we'll be able to face the driver shortage and the cliff and there's no way we'll be able to create safer roads, and there's no, no way we'll be able to scale logistics and the movement of goods for what we need as a society without cracking that huge challenging challenge. Um, and uh, I remain uh, extremely bullish on the need uh, to uh, uh, solve that. Uh, I think uh, then I think about the role of Uber Freight in it, and I'll actually uh, reverse your question. You've asked uh, how important is autonomy for Uber Freight? Uh, actually, from my perspective and sort of uh, what sort of uh, uh, getting me up in the morning and what I'm excited about, it's actually the reverse question. Like, how important is Uber Freight to autonomy? Mm. Because back to your innings question, it's one part to just solve the technical challenge, which is extremely complex. And there's amazing innovators from Waymo to Aurora 
to Volvo and we are partnering with the best of the best that are like at it and like having the best machine learning engineers on the planet cracking that code. But then the, 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 the equally important question is how do you commercialize this technology and bring it to scale? And just think about even with like you solve autonomy between hubs, think about all the challenges that you will still need to solve. Let's count just few of those. You will need to find truck drivers on the first and last mile to get from the distribution center to the highway. And you need to do that in a timely fashion, in a cost effective way to minimize downtime and make sure that the entire sort of cost of the transaction that was like one truck hole is now broken to three separate holes is still economical. You will need to operate those transfer hubs and make sure that um, uh, you stage the trailers and you move those between the transfer hubs in the right way. You will need to, now we're talking about a truck that is costing you not a hundred, not a two hundred, I don't know what the eventual price of the truck will be, but it's going to be much more initially than the current cost of a truck. So then you're talking about like almost like an airline where it's so important to utilize those precious assets even more. So how do you drive 98, 99, 100% utilization so that a, a self-driving truck is always active when autonomy doesn't work? Bad weather, traffic, a, a bunch of other stuff. How can you ensure that uh, you can actually have a safe fallback on the human network? And I can go on and on and on, but sure, our sure. mission will be afraid is to really be the commercial glue and bridge and partner to help commercialize the technology once it's there. And uh, we've been building a lot of what we're building in Uber Freight to be able to fulfill that vision, to be able to actually uh, accelerate the decades that it will take to commercialize that to scale by having an ecosystem and essentially a freight operating system to be able to take that uh, autonomy innovation and deploy that widely. Now, in terms of innings, um, I, I think that's the billion or multi-billion dollar question. Uh, look, I, I think um, as always with every technology, we're going through a hype cycle and then like a, a, a down cycle and uh, autonomy is definitely a, a sort of the down cycle right now. Uh, and it's actually good, I think, to get some of the hype out of the way and to just focus on the core challenges that will take to actually commercialize that. But I think if I think we are probably misestimating how close we are, because if you look at what's actually happening on the ground, we now see not dozens, not hundreds, thousands of driverless um, loads and rides happening on a weekly basis across the US. If you look at the ride sharing, cruise, and Waymo and others have deployed in SF. You're in Austin, like as of like two, three weeks ago, you have a driverless uh, operation there. If you look at a, a class five and class six, companies like Gatic are running driverless operation, class five, class six for the Walmarts of the world in a repeated way across Arkansas and other locations. And if you look at class eight, I think that's the hardest one to crack, but we're getting pretty close to a driverless moment where one of those providers, whether it's next year or the after, are gonna say, hey, I am ready to do a rep repetitive 
scalable driverless operation on one lane, whether it's Texas or something else, a bit of a digression why Texas. Texas has done an amazing job from a regulatory perspective, and Texas, as you know, has most of the freight in the U.S. I think 15% of all interfreight in the U.S. is Texas. So that's why Texas, which essentially became a ground zero for autonomy. But the beauty, the beauty of trucking is it's enough to solve Dallas to San Antonio or Dallas to Houston to have a $3 billion market size opportunity for whoever solves that. Because the minute you solve Dallas to San Antonio and the minute you have essentially trucking cost that is half than anyone else moving on that lane is the minute that everybody's like knocking on your doorstep to be able to move those loans loads autonomously on that lane. So the beauty of trucking is you don't need to solve all of the U.S. to have a meaningful, big business, which is why I'm bullish. I think uh, I don't have a exact time pre- uh, uh, prediction, but I think in terms of innings, we're probably in sort of the later innings than the earlier innings on that. Yeah, well, I'm right there with you on the bullishnesses, and I love the framing around what it's going to take to commercialize. That is what it's about, and you know, you got to give a shout out if you if you if you look at what's happening with our our shared friends, the Mobility Innovation Zone up in Alliance, Texas, with the the Perot and the Hillwood groups helping bring in those innovators like Gaddick and Uber Freight and others to help. Uh, I'm with you. I'm bullish, Lior, and you know maybe a part of that. Uh, same story to finish us on the last question again, r- related to some of those challenges to commercialization. Um, there's some really fresh news as of December that um, Uber Freight was a big part of covering um, an industry collaboration between you guys, Convoy, and JB Hunt to form what you're calling the Scheduling Standards Consortium, which aims to solve transportation scheduling challenges by establishing the freight industry's first formal set of appointment scheduling API standards. And myself, I've seen prior efforts attempt to bring different freight data standards together that were just too early for their time, had really bad misaligned incentives. But this effort between some of the most mature, and you guys are competitors in ways, uh, in the ecosystem seems perfectly timed to me with the very clear targeted and use cases that you guys rolled this announcement. And I encourage all my listeners to check out www.freightapis.org and I'll link it in the comments uh, to the podcast. So all that, again, build up said a couple of questions for you to unpack, Lior. First, what's the story here of how three well-known competitors, both legacy incumbents and new entrants, how the heck did you strike up a conversation this consequential to bring these types of standards to the industry first? And second, could you simplify into layman's terms, what does it mean to the real world of freight movement for this effort to form what in tech speak is outlined as a common set of API standards? Break it down for us. Absolutely. So uh, I think this came, uh, and all credit goes to uh, my co-founder, Bill Dry, that hopefully uh, you'll meet soon, um, all credit goes to him, really the understanding that in the end of the day, there are areas that we can compete on as an industry, but there are areas we should collaborate because it takes a village to boil this ocean. And if you just think about how vast is the freight ecosystem and how fragmented it is, the only way to affect change and to move the needle is to collaborate uh, especially on uh, uh, things like scheduling that uh, are so fragmented and no one player can actually uh, change. So 
uh, Bill uh, was always keen on that idea, and uh, we connected with Dan from Convoy, who also had uh, similar thoughts, and the uh, JB Hunt CTO. And it's really in the end of the day, us, all, all of us looking at each other in the room and realizing like this is not something we're going to compete on. This is something the industry needs, and it's something we can collaborate on together uh, to actually make a dent. And the dent, uh, uh, what are those uh, APIs? And in the end of the day, if you look at uh, all the different systems, they each talk a different language and every appointment, which is basically the most common way of interfacing between shipper systems and carrier systems and warehousing systems, uh, it's all being uh, um, defined differently, structured differently, represented differently. And just think about how many systems are involved. You have the carrier TMSs, then you have the YMSs, then you have the WMSs, then you have the TMSs, and I can go more and more S's. By the way, each one of mm -hmm. those S's have like 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 providers, and each one of those providers are using a different standard. So if you are the poor shipper trying to standardize like your appointments across your board, or you are the poor carrier trying to figure out the heck, how are you going to run your tracking fleet with like 50 different systems you need to coordinate with? This is not a pretty side. It's adding tons of inefficiency to the system. So what we're doing here is just coming together and say, this is how we're going to look at that in our systems. And uh, each one of us have significant scale. We're going to implement that standard so we can model for the rest of the industry how we're going to do that. And nothing in, in, in here is proprietary. Nothing is something that we're not uh, that we're going to uh, own. This is all basically open for everyone to use and just trying to get the friction out so we can just build value versus destroy value by further fragmenting uh, across the ecosystem. Um, so uh, super bullish on that. And if you think about what it opens up, once you have a standard for scheduling, magic can happen. Like I think, as you know, like in, in trucking and freight, almost 15% of every loads every day are being canceled. Weather, traffic jams, delay with appointments, uh, yards are being clogged. So the, the mayhem and the friction, 15% daily cancellations created in the ecosystem is huge. What if we can actually agree on how scheduling an appointment needs to work? So then if something needs to move versus having all those brokers and intermediaries and manual stuff in between, like a shipper and a carrier can just communicate directly in the same way that sort of we reserve a place in open table with like opening our app and basically choosing where we want to go a truck driver can open their app and just see what's the available slots and if there's a cancellation we can basically reschedule that and offer a truck driver better spots and you just get so much dead weight and so much inefficiency out of the system without question Yep, and we'll be watching closely to see how how the effort evolves. And in Lior, from start to finish with these questions, it's it's just incredibly impressive. You know, 2017 to where we're at now, bringing Uber Freight into profitability, but at the same time pushing the agenda on both autonomous trucking and now at like the most granular data standards level, trying to bring other competitors together. Uh, it's just it's incredibly impressive, and we need more innovators willing to push the agenda. So, uh, love the story, and and what I'd love to do is we kind of get close to wrapping up here. 
always love to bring the discussion back to those in the arena, the founders specifically. Um, what words of wisdom do you have for them out there? And we talked a little bit earlier, but you know, specifically scaling into 2023, a logistics tech startup in the current environment, maybe give them a key to success and then maybe a common challenge that you, you see this year to, to try to avoid. The thing in freight and logistics, not easy, but it's relatively okay to get going. You can always get one early adopter, one shipper, two shippers, three shippers. The, 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 the pitfall I have seen with many, many companies is you think those two, three early, early adopters are actually representative of the late, late majority. And the reality, especially in freight and logistics, there's only, unfortunately, a handful of tech-first customers that will jump on some of those solutions. But then where I see a lot of startups crash and burn are, okay, you got here like two free early adopters. By the way, it's always the same 10 shippers. How the heck are you going to get to the other 500,000 shippers that uh, are constitute this like vast trillion-dollar industry? And I see a lot of teams lose their way. So my advice is know your audience. Who are you actually selling? And I also see a lot of people confusing. Are you selling to a broker? Are you selling to a shipper? Are you selling to a carrier? And it's very hard to do all. So focus on your audience. And in your audience, don't fall into a trap. Oh, I have to like, you know, uh, um, uh, design partners because you'll just waste your cycles and then uh, everybody kind of know that from a busy community, so it will be very hard for you to raise your next round. Like find find way find things that are more scalable, and actually reach out to uh, some of the late adopters and, and see if you can actually help with uh, uh, answering their needs. Uh, so that would be my simple advice. By the way, we're trying to help. One of the things that I'm focusing on freight, we spoke about the beginning of the journey which was a marketplace in Uber for freight. We didn't speak about sort of the last 12, 18 months with the Transplace acquisition, which is really building an end-to-end platform from shippers all the way to carriers. So if there is good innovation, we can plug that innovation into the ecosystem and give those entrepreneurs much more distribution and access to freight data and TMSs and a distribution with shippers and carriers so they can focus on the innovation and the use case versus somehow boiling the big, big distribution ocean challenge that is what's killing a lot of the logistics startup that I have seen. Absolutely. And when you guys brought in Transplace and that shipper-focused managed freight uh, to what your platform already have, if I'm uh, if I'm looking to partner, I'm certainly coming to have a chat with you guys. So uh, love that. And and maybe here with the last section, Lou, or a little section we call quick hitter. So if you're ready for a little rapid fire Q&A, we'll jump in. Sounds good. All right. Number one thing you're looking for when you're evaluating a potential innovation partner within this ecosystem. Uh, first and foremost, I'm looking at people. Uh, I've seen, uh, uh, be- I, I've never seen not great founders that are succeeding, even if the use case or the industry are compelling. And I've seen many, many cases where great founders and great leaders and great entrepreneurs succeed, even if everything was stacked against them. So I'm still first and foremost, a people person. I'm looking at those teams. I'm trying to understand their dynamics. I'm trying to understand sort of where people are coming from. I'm trying to understand 
their motivations. I'm trying to assess their skill sets. In the end of the day, technology aside, people are building the technology. People are creating that uh, uh, those companies. So first and foremost, I'm I'm still a people person. Human element. And you are certainly not getting far in the freight industry if you don't know it. So um, one resource, book, podcast, blog, whatever you'd recommend for audience to follow in the ecosystem. I think strategy is so important and understanding strategy is so important. And my go-to source on a daily basis for the past few years have been uh, Ben Thompson and Stretchery. I highly recommend that reading. It's a daily reading. It's like a few bucks a month. And it just, oh, I feel like on a strategic vacation island. It, it, like It's like a strategic medica- uh, meditation. I'll just read how he thinks about industries, how he analyzes the forces, how he thinks about sort of like the, the driving forces behind uh, innovation. And it will just allow me to expand my horizon and just like zoom out and really like look inside myself and read that and say, okay, how do I think about my business and am I making the right strategic moves? It's like a daily dose of reflection that I love. So Ben Ben, uh, ben Thompson and Strategy. Without question, some of the best strategy frameworks that are out there. Couldn't agree more. Uh, one person who should be on the podcast to help spread the word. Uh, I think uh, so uh, many fascinating people. I think uh, you've asked about autonomy. Uh, we have a lot of great partners um, for autonomy. It's such a central part of the future. I do think like um, talking with some of the fresh autonomy voices uh, is always uh, refreshing and important. I think one of them that I personally love is Raquel Urtazon from uh, Wabi. Uh, Wabi is a relatively new uh, AV truck entrant, but it has a very fresh take on life and a, a very unique approach from end-to-end machine learning to scale that across the vast ecosystem. So, and she's just uh, probably the most brilliant mind in self-driving research globally. So if you can somehow get Raquel, uh, I highly recommend. All right. I know a guy who can help me get an introduction. So <laughs> love it. And Lior, final uh, best way for folks to reach out to you. Uh, I'm very available. Um, so uh, anywhere from uh, LinkedIn me, um, I'm uh, basically Lior Ron, just search my profile and I'm very responsive on LinkedIn. Or tweet me at Lioron, that's my handle, L-I-O-R-O-N, uh, and that's also my email, L-I-O-R-O-N at uber.com. All of those ways, very responsive. And thank you so much for doing this because I, I fundamentally believe, back to some of the discussion, it takes a village. This is the most important industry for the future of the economy, and it's facing some of the toughest challenges and toughest and biggest opportunities and it's not just Uber Freight or this or that, it takes everyone. So anything we can do, I can do to support entrepreneurs and to help accelerate this like golden age of logistics innovation, uh, I'm always happy to do. And I, it's just been thrilling to see that when we got going in 2015, logistics was this like boring back of office topic that nobody wanted to actually spend in cycles. And just seeing how big is the ecosystem, how much momentum we have is great. But we're just getting going. We need to be in this together and support each other. 
Couldn't agree more. Takes a village, and and thank you for jumping on, helping spread the word. You said 12% global GDP, right? So we kind of got to get this right uh, amongst all the human element involved as well, Lior. So look forward to watching more about Uber Freight innovation ahead, and uh, appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Happy New Year.